0: I'm really excited to announce that I'll be hosting a live virtual show in collaboration with Moment on Sunday, March 5th, 2023. And you don't even have to leave your house to enjoy the show. You can watch it on your computer, your TV, or other device. Tickets for the live show go on sale next month. Make sure you're following me on Instagram at Murderish Podcast so you get all the updates and details about the event. For now, just save the date, Sunday, March 5th, 2023, at 5 p.m. Pacific and 8 p.m. Eastern. I'm really excited about the show, especially because there will be an interactive element to it, like the after-party immediately following the event. So save the date, you guys. Sunday, March 5th, 2023. More details coming very soon, and I hope to see you there. The opinions expressed in this episode do not necessarily reflect those of the Murderish Podcast. Sensitive topics are discussed. Listener discretion is advised. You look familiar. Have I seen you somewhere before? This query is one that Robert Sorrells heard often. A character actor who appeared in over a 100 films and TV shows between the early 60s and late 80s, the lanky Texan with a southern drawl and oversized ears made a living playing bit parts in big productions. Classics like Gunsmoke. Bonanza, The Twilight Zone, all of which remain part of the American lexicon to this day. Studios loved to cast the six-foot-two Dallas native in westerns, the type where the good guy shot first and asked questions later. No matter the plot, the roles typically ended the same for Sorrells, with his character either firing a bullet or taking one himself. His early filmography reads like an advertisement for the NRA. Gunfight in Abilene, Mosby's Martyrs, Death of a Gunfighter, The Ride to Hangman's Tree. Though he felt deserving of more prominent roles, Sorrels played the part without complaint, whether it meant receiving a beatdown from the lead actor or being snuffed out in a film's opening minutes by a sinister villain. In a disturbing case of life-imitating art, Sorrels, at the age of 74, gunned down two men at a bar near his home in Simi Valley, California, killing one and badly wounding the other. His victim, a 45-year-old painting contractor and father of one, whose only crime was coming to the defense of a female bartender and forcibly escorting a belligerent sorrels off the premises. The shocking July 2004 murder, shined a spotlight on the psychology of aging actors and begged the question, did a lifetime of being around fake movie violence make Sorrells more inclined to commit the real-life kind? Or were the characters he portrayed all those years on film closer to reality than those around him realized? This is Jamie, and you're listening to Murderish. Join me as I explore the case of Hollywood actor-turned-murderer Robert Sorrels. Located about 20 miles north of downtown Los Angeles, Simi Valley is one of countless suburbs founded by families who fled the growing metropolis in the decades following World War II. Hemmed in by the Santa Susana Mountain Range, the 42-square-mile valley floor, once lined with citrus groves and dotted with oil derricks, is today home to over 120,000 people, making it the third most populous city in Ventura County. Due to its geography, there is only one way in and out of Simi Valley, the Ronald Reagan Freeway, named for the late US president and California governor, who selected the conservative-leaning city to host his presidential museum, now the city's number one tourist attraction. The lack of escape routes is a massive challenge come wildfire season, but many residents view it as a net positive, seeing as it serves to deter out-of-town thieves and criminals from trying their luck. In 1992, in the wake of the acquittal of four LAPD officers who beat Rodney King, a trial which took place at the tiny Simi Valley Courthouse, local residents famously lined up across the city's eastern gateway with knives, bats, and other crude weapons to keep out invaders after a rumor spread that the rioting and looting in South Central may be headed for the suburbs, but it never did. In spite of its proximity to crime-ridden LA, Simi Valley regularly ranks among America's safest cities. The secret, according to locals. All the cops. And not just the ones on duty. Beyond its own police force, Simi Valley is home to hundreds of Los Angeles area law enforcement officers who prefer not to live in the same streets they patrol and like to be where they feel welcome. Simi Valley, an island of red, in a decidedly blue region, is a pro-cop town. When police nationwide became the target of anger and criticism in the months following the murder of George Floyd by a Minneapolis police officer in 2020, The Simi Valley City Council voted to spend $50,000 to post signs that read, Not Black Lives Matter, but instead, Simi supports our cops. But Simi Valley is no Mayberry. Beneath the surface is a simmering tension between the primarily older white populace and the growing number of Hispanics, blacks, and other minorities who've arrived over the past two decades. Though the city's citizenry is nearly 40% non-white, according to the most recent census, Simi Valley Police Department is made up of 80% white officers. Even 30 years later, the stain left by the Rodney King verdict, although there was only one Simi resident on the jury, has never been completely washed clean. These issues mattered little to Robert Sorrels. He'd come to the suburbs to live out his post-acting years in peace and quiet, away from the self-absorbed movie industry types he'd blamed for never giving him his big shot. A cowboy at heart, he first became acquainted with the area in the 1960s, while filming episodes of Gunsmoke, one of countless classic westerns that used Simi Valley as a backdrop. As far back as the 1930s, Studios like Paramount Pictures and Warner Brothers sought out the Valley's stunning rock formations to create scenes from the Wild West, or a faraway planet. Because Simi Valley fell within Hollywood's so-called 30-mile zone, producers could summon casts and crews there without having to pay them per diem. Simi Valley's most notable movie ranch was Corriganville, named for the stuntman, Rocky Crash Corrigan. The scene of such films as Tarzan, The Lone Ranger, and Star Trek, Corriganville hosted every star of that era, from Gene Autry to Roy Rogers to John Wayne. Later purchased by Bob Hope, the ranch was destroyed by a pair of fires in the late 70s. Today, Corriganville is a public park where visitors can still see a piece of film history. A man-made lake with a bunker and thick glass windows— used to capture underwater shots of Tarzan and Jane. For Sorrells, Simi Valley offered the opportunity to escape his greatest antagonist, an insatiable appetite for drugs and alcohol, built up over three decades in the entertainment industry. And for several years, it looked like it was working. Sorrels left Los Angeles after it became clear his acting days were over. Once a prolific performer who shot a combined 50 films and TV episodes in the 1960s alone. As westerns faded from television, so did he. Smaller roles in films like 1976's Bound for Glory and 1985's Fletch, starring Chevy Chase, would follow. But by the time he reached 60, Sorrell's busy career had come to a standstill. Fellow actors recalled a talented dramatist who could get the most out of every character he played, no matter how small the role or how short the scene. Suzanne Horn, Sorrells' former scene partner, wrote, He was quiet, humble, polite, and professional to work with. Sorrells and his elderly mother shared a two-bedroom stucco apartment at Haywood Gardens, a low-income complex for seniors dotted with palm trees and encircled by a wrought iron fence. It was about as far from glamorous as one could get, but Sorles was happy to have a roof over his head and his mother close by. Like so many addicts, Sorrels played another role, Jekyll and Hyde. When he wasn't using, he was a delight to be around. When he was, bystanders couldn't get far enough away. A talented guitarist who loved to entertain, Sorrels put on country western concerts in the complex's community center. The shows helped the residents of Haywood Gardens, many living welfare check to welfare check, forget their troubles, if only for a couple hours at a time. To those who knew him best, Sorrels was a far cry from the violent men he played regularly on the big screen. He declared himself a pacifist and adamantly opposed the war in Vietnam. In his later years, Sarles studied Eastern religions, stopped eating meat, and even became a yogi. Inside his Simi Valley apartment, he kept a small shrine to Buddha. He grew tomatoes on his patio and rode his bicycle every day, rigging a contraption to the front so he could carry his beloved gray poodle to and from the grocery store. Proud of his Hollywood exploits, Sorrells would show friends residual checks from the Screen Actors Guild, or regale neighbors with tales of acting alongside such film greats as Bobby Darren, Clint Eastwood, and Lena Horne. He loved to talk about his role in a Twilight Zone episode from 1960, where he played Casey, a robot baseball pitcher, or the time he worked with Ronald Reagan in Death Valley Days. Yet his peaceful exterior belied the war going on within. The product of a broken East Texas home, Sorrells had been raised by his mother and a revolving door of abusive and alcoholic boyfriends. Men who taught young Robert it was okay to drink, smoke and fight to excess. He was more comfortable on screen than off it, and he rarely fit in with the egocentric Hollywood types with whom he shared the stage. Marley Harris, one of Sorrells' neighbors at Haywood Gardens, told the LA Times that he had given her guitar lessons for about a year, until he became verbally abusive and she decided to cut off their friendship. Harris said, He was my friend, but he was a wacko, no doubt about it. Years of substance abuse had left the one-time womanizer almost unrecognizable from his days on the silver screen. He wore a gray goatee in the style of Colonel Sanders. He drove around town in an old, beat-up VW minibus with a faded paint job and broken muffler. After years of teetering on the edge of sanity, Sorrel suffered a sudden loss in 2003 that would trigger the actor to reprise a role he knew all too well, that of the gunfighter bound for vengeance. Only in this instance, The consequences were 100% real. Anyone who comes to my house knows that I treat my dogs just as any other member of the family. Fur or not, we're all just one big team. So what I feed my dogs is just as important as what I feed myself and my kids. That's why my dogs eat Nom Nom. It's real, nutritious food that's backed by science. It has no additives or fillers that contribute to bloating or low energy, and every portion is personalized to your dog's needs. Switching over to Nom Nom has really brought out the best in my boys. I love seeing them full of energy and ready to play every day. And Nom Nom's free shipping and delivery straight to my door has never made it easier to get high quality food for Shadow and Clipper. As a mom and business owner, I appreciate not having an extra trip to the store every month. I also don't have to feel guilty for choosing the convenient route because Nom Nom's nutrient-packed recipes are crafted by board-certified veterinary nutritionists. It's a win-win for me and my boys. I love Shadow and Clipper so much and it really makes me happy to know that I'm giving them the best nutrition and they both seem to really enjoy the freshness of Nom Nom, because they lick their bowls clean every single time. Nom Nom's already delivered over 40 million meals to good dogs like yours, inspiring millions of clean bowls and tail wags. If your dog's tail isn't wagging within 30 days, Nom Nom's money-back guarantee ensures that they will refund your first order. No fillers, no nonsense, just Nom Nom. Go right now for 50% off your no-risk two-week trial at trinom.com slash murderish. Spelled trinom.com slash murderish for 50% off. trynomcom slash murderish. The last time Nancy DeLong saw her husband, Arthur, alive was the afternoon of July 24th, 2004. The couple and their daughter, Michelle, had attended a memorial service at the Simi Valley United Methodist Church for Nancy's mother, who died only weeks earlier from skin cancer. As they headed for the parking lot, Arthur asked his wife if it would be okay if he grabbed a drink with friends at a nearby bar to help calm his emotions. She told him it was. Nancy said to the Ventura County star, he gave me a hug and said, I'll be back later only Arthur never made it back home. Arthur and Nancy met in the early 1980s while bowling with mutual friends in Los Angeles's San Fernando Valley, where they both grew up. They married in 1984 and began to plan a life together. Arthur wanted to learn the painting trade, and Nancy dreamed of a career in the entertainment industry. Those plans had to be put on hold when the couple gave birth to a beautiful baby girl, Mindy, two years later. Their greatest joy, however, turned into unimaginable misery when Nancy awoke one morning to find her three-month-old daughter cold and lifeless in her crib, the victim of Sudden Infant Death Syndrome, or SIDS. Despite the pain of losing Mindy, the couple found a way to move forward. They had a second daughter, Michelle, a few years later, and Arthur used the knowledge he'd obtained as an apprentice to start his own business. Art's Malibu Painting. Working sometimes 50 or 60 hours, Arthur slowly but surely built up a reliable list of wealthy clients who kept him busy nearly every month of the year. Before long, the business was earning enough so that Nancy could quit her job and stay home with Michelle. The couple moved to Simi Valley in 1994 to raise their daughter in a place with safe streets and schools. Where they didn't have to worry about her staying out late or riding a bike to soccer practice. While he might not have been a choir boy, Arthur DeLong was a good father and provider. He loved bowling and NASCAR, so much so that a week before his death, he traveled to Florida to see Daytona Beach Speedway. Not any race in particular, just the empty track. Nancy said to the Ventura County star, Art was a fun-loving person. He worked hard. He played hard. He was very simple. He was not complex. What you saw was what you got. On the afternoon of July 24th, Arthur jumped into a friend's car and made the short drive from his mother-in-law's memorial service to the Regency Lounge. The contrast couldn't have been starker. A seedy hole-in-the-wall in a strip mall along Simi Valley's main drag The bar was a magnet for undesirables, men and women who didn't praise cops, but tried like hell to avoid them. Nancy DeLong told the star her husband went to the dimly lit tavern from time to time as a getaway, a place where he could drown his sorrows out of view from the community's judgmental eyes. Maybe, she thought, the scars left behind by the loss of their baby girl all those years earlier had never completely healed. While she preferred him at home, Nancy trusted her husband and knew he was under immense pressure at work. Her worst fear was that he might wind up with a DUI or get into a fight. Never in her wildest dreams did she ever imagine that he'd be shot in one of America's safest cities. In the months before he opened fire at the Regency Lounge, Robert Sorrells was spiraling out of control. His downfall began in 2003, with the death of his mother, followed shortly after by the loss of his canine companion. The one-two punch was more than the old actor could bear. Sorrell's neighbor, Marley Harris, told the LA Times, he was very, very close to his mother, and he adored that dog. He was so good to it. With his support system gone, Sorrell's had no friends to turn to. His drinking had destroyed most of the relationships he'd made in the movie industry. And those friends he did keep could not be troubled to help. Before long, Sorrels went back to drinking every day from sunup to sundown. His personality changed dramatically. Once friendly and outgoing, he became a babbling, paranoid drunk, quick to anger, and unwilling to listen to reason he stopped taking his prescribed medications and would spend days on end never leaving his haywood gardens apartment neighbors aware that he owned a firearm grew more worried by the day not for what he might do to others but what he might do to himself yet there was nothing the landlord nor the police could do Sorrels paid the rent on time each month and authorities couldn't force him to get help for his depression and mood swings Most of the residents at Haywood Gardens expected to awaken one day and learn that Sorrells had taken his own life. They had no idea that inside the former television killer lurked a real killer, one capable of incredible violence. The unfortunate series of events that would conclude with Arthur DeLong's murder on July 24, 2004, actually began the day prior. It was July 23rd when Robert Sorles decided to go to the Regency Lounge to kick off his latest drinking until staff ordered him to leave around closing time. When he got up the next morning, Sorrells realized he'd lost his credit card, so he headed back to the bar to ask about its whereabouts. He didn't find it, but that didn't stop him from returning a few hours later to resume drinking. Next to him at the bar sat Arthur DeLong fresh from his mother-in-law's funeral. The two men had never met. About an hour into his second day of drinking at the tavern, Sorrels began harassing a female bartender about why no one could find his credit card from the night before. With each passing minute and each subsequent round of booze, the ribbing got worse. At one point, the ex-actor called the woman a stupid bitch and threatened to kick her ass. Arthur DeLong, overhearing the verbal tirade, decided he'd had enough. The 45-year-old painting contractor turned to Sorrels, seated a few stools down, and told the elderly man that if he didn't leave, there'd be trouble. After putting up a minor fight, Sorrels agreed to go, and DeLong physically escorted him to the door. But Sorrels wouldn't stay gone for long. He drove his Volkswagen bus back to his apartment at Haywood Gardens, retrieved a semi-automatic pistol, and returned to the Regency Lounge just after 5 p.m. What happened next was like something from one of Sorrell's old westerns, and it was all captured on silent videotape by a surveillance camera mounted in the ceiling above the bar. With no warning, Sorrels walked into the dark lounge held the gun to DeLong's back and squeezed the trigger. The hard-working father never stood a chance. Sorrels then turned the pistol toward a patron seated on a nearby bar stool, 40-year-old Edward Sanchez, who'd only entered the Regency 10 minutes prior. Before he could turn, Sanchez was shot in the back as well. The silent surveillance footage, played later at trial, fails to fully capture the chaos inside the tiny tavern as bargoers rushed for the exits. As he left, Sorrels fired several more shots in the direction of his two victims, now bloodied and left for dead on the dance floor. He hit DeLong in the chest and Sanchez in the face. The last thing one man heard before he made it out was Sarles yelling at the top of his lungs, does anyone else want to fuck with the cowboy? Disorganized spreadsheets for managing your money are so last year. Say goodbye to those outdated methods and say hello to Rocket Money, the better way to hack your finances in 2023. Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill, is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. Over 80% of people have subscriptions they forgot about, And admittedly, I was part of that 80% of people before Rocket Money. Seriously, how many times have you bought a subscription or signed up for a free trial just to watch one show on a streaming service that you never used again? And let's be honest, no one has time to review their bank statements looking for these pesky monthly charges. But that's where Rocket Money comes in. Rocket Money will quickly and easily identify your subscriptions for you, so you can stop paying for the ones you don't want. Rocket Money makes canceling subscriptions as easy as a click of a button. Not only do they identify all of your subscriptions, but you can also cancel your subscriptions right from the app. Simply press cancel and Rocket Money will cancel it for you. How easy is that? No more waiting on hold for customer service, tedious emailing back and forth, or searching through your account settings trying to figure out how to cancel your subscription. I'll be the first to admit that I just don't wanna deal with all of that. So I'm happy that I came across Rocket Money to help me with canceling subscriptions and managing my money. And I seriously couldn't believe how much money I was spending with all those charges added up. Join the over 3 million people who've used Rocket Money and saved an average of up to $750 a year. Stop throwing your money away. Cancel unwanted subscriptions and manage your expenses the easy way by going to RocketMoney.com/murderish. That's RocketMoney.com/murderish. RocketMoney.com/murderish. 911 calls flooded into Simi Valley Police Dispatch from people escaping the terror-stricken bar. Within minutes, scores of cop cars screamed to the location. But Sorrells had already left. After, that is, he'd taken the time to down a beer, another act caught on camera. Simi Valley PD apprehended the 74-year-old behind the wheel of his van just three blocks from the shootout, still drunk and belligerent. A detective later testified that five hours after the shooting, Sorrells' blood alcohol level was still more than twice the legal limit. That night, Robert Sorrells, who'd never been convicted of a violent crime, was booked into Ventura County Jail on suspicion of murder and attempted murder. Because of his acting career, the shooting made headlines across the country, with people wanting to know what would make a 74-year-old man with no history of violence do such a thing. After a three-week investigation, police determined that Sorrells didn't know either of the men he'd shot that night. It seemed to them the motive was one as old as time, a bruised ego. Sorrels felt disrespected on his own turf and refused to let the slight go unpunished. Was it the alcohol, mental illness, or after a lifetime of being treated like disposed goods, had he simply snapped? It mattered little to Nancy DeLong, who just days after burying her mother, now had to make funeral arrangements for her husband of 20 years. DeLong said to the VC star, It's just kind of like the Twilight Zone. If I try and stop and think about it, it's just too much. Interviewed by detectives, Sarles' friends painted a sad picture of a man in emotional decline. After his mother and poodle died, they said, he cut himself off from others and no longer cared about life. According to entertainment blogger David K. Frazier, a friend who spent the last decade performing with Sorrels in a weekly jam session reported how after the deaths, the elderly man began acting weird. Sorrels started calling the man to complain of how he felt he ruined his life by pickling his brain with alcohol and drugs. Later, he received a threatening phone call from Sorrels announcing their friendship was over. "'I don't like you,' the actor said. I have a gun, and I will come after you. Prosecutors had all they needed. At a preliminary hearing held three months later in October of 2004, attorneys for the state played the damning videotape captured by the camera inside the Regency Lounge. The district attorney's office couldn't help but reference Sorrell's big screen past, likening him to one of the gunfighters he played in those 1960s westerns. The entire tale of his final night as a free man, they said, would not have been out of place on a show like Bonanza or Gunsmoke. Some who knew Sorrells to be a peaceful man wondered if he was suffering from dementia that made him believe he was acting in one of his old films the night he shot DeLong and Sanchez. But authorities were not buying it. With no chance of proving his innocence, Sorrell's attorney tried to make a case for temporary insanity. That hope, however, was snuffed out after a psychiatric examination determined that Sorrell was sane at the time of the shootings. Faced with the possibility of the death penalty, Sorrell's agreed to plead guilty in May of 2005 to first-degree murder and attempted murder. His public defender said, my client feels a great deal of remorse for what he's done, and he would like to make amends to the degree possible. At a sentencing hearing in July of that year, a judge sentenced the one-time Hollywood actor to the term of 32 years to life. Sorrell's days as a free man were over. Arthur DeLong was laid to rest on July 29, 2004, in a Chatsworth cemetery next to his beloved daughter Mindy. After her husband's death, Nancy went back to college and earned a degree in business communication and marketing so she could support herself and her daughter, Michelle. She remains in Simi Valley to this day. Though he survived the rampage, Edward Sanchez's life would never be the same. The shooting left the 40-year-old paralyzed from the waist down. He would undergo multiple reconstructive facial surgeries that improved his outward appearance but did little to dent the mind-numbing and chronic pain. An anonymous family member wrote on a tribute page to Sorrells, 10 years after Sanchez was shot, he still wakes up screaming. Since the shocking crime, debate has persisted whether Arthur DeLong shared any responsibility for his death. According to at least one onlooker, the contractor had not simply escorted Sorrells to the barroom door but tossed him out, sending the old man down hard on the pavement. In the end, it didn't matter. Sorrels would go on to survive for nearly 15 years behind bars at California State Prison Solano outside Vacaville. While incarcerated, he got clean from drugs and alcohol and rediscovered spirituality. Fans from his days in television would often write, and he would reply, a friend wrote about Sorrels in an online post in 2014. He has changed a great deal in these 10 years in prison and is helping others. I too feel the sadness that someone who was as talented and vital and nonviolent for some 74 years took this strange turn so late in life and thus changed the fates of so many. Prison is a harsh place, to say the least but he has taken the high road in a rough and dangerous environment. Robert Sorrells died on June 11, 2019, in a prison hospital at the age of 88. His work in television will live on, but so will the pain felt by the families of his victims. Thanks for joining me on this episode of Murderish. And don't forget to save the date for the live show that I'm hosting, on Sunday, March 5th, 2023. More details are coming soon. Make sure you're following me on Instagram at Murderish Podcast, so you don't miss any updates about the event. You guys, if you'd rather listen to Murderish ad-free, check out Murderish Behind the Mic on Patreon, where you can get access to episodes with no ads, as well as bonus content and other cool perks. To sign up for Murderish Behind the Mic, visit Murderish.com, or just go to Patreon.com and search for Murderish there. I want to give a big thank you to Ryan M., Julia T., Kathy B., and Taya W. for joining Murderish Behind the Mic. Thank you all so much for your support. I'm really looking forward to interacting with you on Patreon. Oh, and did I mention? The evening of the live show I'm hosting on March 5th, 2023— All Murderish Patreon subscribers will get into the after-party for free that night. More details coming soon. For those of you who don't know, I host another true crime podcast called Dirty Money Moves Women in White Collar Crime. The podcast follows my investigation of a woman I met a few years ago, a woman who turned out to be a prolific scam artist. It's a truly wild story that has ties to the Michael Jackson scandal. You can subscribe to Dirty Money Moves wherever you're listening right now. There are a bunch of episodes for you to binge right now. Also, do me the biggest favor and tell your friends about Murderish or leave the show a positive rating and review in any podcast app. You can also show your support by wearing a Murderish t-shirt while you're out and about. And trust me, it's a great conversation starter. Go to Murderish.com to buy t-shirts, bags, coffee mugs, and so much more. And don't forget to follow Murderish on Instagram and TikTok at Murderish Podcast. Both platforms are a great way to get to know me better because we do a lot of funny videos, short true crime stories, and everything in between. And I love engaging with everybody there. So check it out. Murderish sound design and audio editing is done by Pod Machine with oversight by Emily Crane of Cloud 10 Media. This episode was researched and written by Kay Brandt. Visit Murderish.com for a list of sources used for this episode. As always, ishers, thank you for joining me on another episode of Murderish. And remember, listening to this podcast doesn't make you a murderer. It just means you're murder-ish. Seeking the truth never gets old.